0: Hello, you freaky bastards. <laughs> it is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bow. And we want to give you a warm welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. Today, we sit down with Ian Kaplan, our COO, and Dr. Jordan Shallow. Jordan is a chiropractor, a powerlifter, and a strength and conditioning coach. He has been in clinical practice for over three years He has worked at Apple as a chiropractor and over at Boss Barbell Club Where he's worked mainly with athletes including some big-name hitters He has also worked as a strength and conditioning coach over at Stanford But he doesn't only talk about it, he is about it Jordan has achieved a 750 squat, pounce, a 441 deadlift sorry bench. a 441 bench and a 755 deadlift he's also the founder and co-owner of prescript which is an online strength and conditioning platform which delivers workout programs with video explanation and customer service support most recently he's been developing his own series of courses to educate coaches which i've actually been lucky enough to take and i can attest to it that they're awesome Jordan's an incredibly smart dude, an amazing friend, and one of the hardest working people I know, and I'm super lucky to have him on the podcast today. Uh, This podcast has a little bit of everything. We first dive into Jordan's first principles to strength and conditioning, where we talk about mobility, stability, and strength. That's kind of been his uh, his trademark slogan, and we talk about what that means to him and how that applies to strength and conditioning. We also talk about what strength and conditioning actually means is and where does how does strength play a role into the development of athletes and finally we talk about the thor versus eddie hall fight where jordan gives his opinions about where he thinks it's going and kind of the transition between boxing as an artistic sport and a really class a classic sport to more of a a form of pure form of entertainment
1: this episode is brought to you by Ghost strong equipment as you know, a lot of the gyms around the country, around the world are opening back up. So if you're a gym owner and you want to get some of the best equipment out there, check out Go Strong Equipment. Or if you're somebody who's just been digging lifting at home and you don't want to head back to the gym, you want to get yourself some top notch strength, powerlifting, strongman equipment, Go Strong Equipment is the spot for that. So check them out on Instagram at Go Strong Equipment or on the internet at GoStrongEquipment.com.
0: Enjoy this episode. Well, so before we start, I have one, two, three, four, five, six cards over here um, from my "Never Have I Ever" game. Okay, that that you have to answer. Okay, luckily, Gayla's not listening to these, but she might listen to it. <laughs> oh, she
2: definitely is. <laughs> she <laughs> literally took off her noise cancelling headphones. Like, oh, this is good.
0: <laughs> okay, so, never have I ever been broken up with for being too immature.
2: Me being immature? Yeah, that's not an issue.
0: So you're too mature.
2: Uh, I'm very boring. I'm not gonna say mature. I'm just I go to bed really early.
0: Right. So that can be mistaken by being mature. Sure. <laughs> right. Okay. Never have I ne- have I ever been reprimanded by hotel security. You do a, you do a you lot have? of
1: traveling. What's so what's the worst thing that you. it's usually no it's because i'm getting upset
2: at other people that are loud and then i go knock on doors to tell them to keep it down and then shit gets
1: escalated (laughs) it's it's always my fault
0: are you serious you're that guy
2: well i I was in vegas and i filed a noise complaint at 10 p.m at the hard rock and they they just laughed at me so i was like fuck this i'm taking the law into my own hands and i just went over to the door next everyone was like off their fucking head keep it down and then hotel security shows up because you can't tell people to keep it down at
1: 10 o'clock in vegas Right. I don't think you can tell them to keep it down ever in Vegas. <laughs> oh, you can. <laughs> well, you, you can. It's just frowned upon. Hats,
0: <laughs> hats off for Kayla, man, for putting up with that. Okay. She's <laughs> better than I am. <laughs> <laughs> never have I ever knocked a tooth out from a uh, drunken debauchery.
2: Mine or someone else's? Both. Yeah, I either. Well, either. I, I don't drink. I have lost my teeth from, like, fighting and hockey, but I've never lost. I don't drink.s but I used to be a bouncer, so
0: you've never, uh, dr- you didn't use, you never used to drink.
2: I haven't drank in like twelve years. I stopped drinking when I was like eighteen. Um, but yeah, I've I've knocked a few teeth out of my day. Like being a bouncer, it's kind of perks to the job, I guess. Occupational hazard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I have two more. Never, never have I ever moved in with someone after one month of dating. Uh, how long were we dating for? <laughs> no, I don't think that
2: really counts it was more than one month
0: I feel like that counts
2: And we both, I mean, we're both, we not really moving in we're moving into someone else's place uh, semi true
1: yeah because tra- you've been traveling together since yeah. a
2: month which is like way harder I think than actually moving That's into true. the same place because there's really like a nice. novelty of like I'm going to open up all the cupboards in this new place now in every three days <laughs> so that kind of keeps you occupied
0: okay and last one never have I ever gone somewhere with a date and left with someone else yeah, no. No, bro. No. So boring. Why does that surprise this was, you? Yeah. Let's just let's just cut this out of the podcast. That was the most boring. Never have I ever that I've ever been been a part of. For oh, real, man.
1: That's hilarious. what do you mean? He's moved in with a girl after a, just one month. He's knocked I out knocked some teeth. So teeth out. Like-
0: Playing f- uh, football. What, what do you play? Hockey.
1: Oh my, tough crowd, man. Tough <laughs> oh, crowd. Yeah, the Don't worry, I live this every day. I know what you're going through right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so before we get started, I just want to tell you that I've figured out your formula.
2: Oh really looking forward to hearing it stuff.
0: <laughs> I figure out your formula for not for being able to ramble on unlimitedly. <laughs> so this is oh. what you do. When you ask Jordan a question, he doesn't really answer the question like ever. And so you do this thing where you just go around the thing that you're being asked and like periodically kind of like, huh, like jab, maybe say like one of the keywords about the question that was being asked, but then continue by not talking about it. And it's in my head. Like, this is how I feel when you're talking. So this is the question right here in the middle. And this is you. You start out here, right out here, like a philosopher, <laughs> bird's eye view on the question. And you go round and round, jab, round and round, or jab. round 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 and it goes on and on for so long so long that you forget the question that you asked or you were asked that i forget the question that i asked oh and now i feel stupid for not even understanding where this is going but it makes you seem really smart and then i feel really dumb
1: i mean that's pretty good yeah just 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 to clarify you were
2: accusing me of going on and on about not having a point behind something and that was the way you decided to
1: go about everything. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, you I mean, you actually demonstrated the point. Yeah. By doing by actually doing the thing that you were saying.
0: That's what I said. I'm I, I mastered it. I've been able the other day I did a YouTube video where I spoke for like thirty eight minutes and I'm like, Thank you, Jordan.
2: Sorry, was that a
1: compliment? Is it really like this?
2: That's as close as you're going to get to a compliment. Good luck with
1: the rest of the hybrid (laughs) limited podcast.
0: Yeah, actually, Dude, that yeah, was I-
1: basically, you just basically got a French kiss. That's <laughs> that how nice that was that, coming that, from Steph.
2: Is that how they do that in Venezuela? <laughs> well, it's, it's hard because it's like, what are the mediums that we, we use, right? Like YouTube, non-interactive. Because you're going to get pigeonholed. Like you're going to get, you said this, here's a clip that I ripped off your YouTube. This is your whole opinion on this. So it's like, if I, if I don't talk in this like circuitous manner and try and touch every single contextual point in every single instance then i'm gonna be taken out of context and then you're gonna get pigeonholed as this is the way you think on a particular topic that's why i answer four instagram story question things and it takes me 75 minutes to do it because it's like someone could just share that 15 minutes because i do that to other people like and you know this like i pigeonhole other people in the industry by like this guy's an idiot and it's like if he just wants to sum it up in 15 seconds you kind of have to like bear that cross. It's like, okay, if that's all the time you're going to give in your explanation, then, you know, maybe you're busy and I understand that, but you know, you might be misinterpreted because I I'm the misinterpreter a lot of times. And then, you know, you give me shit for meeting people in person and be like, Oh, actually guess what? That guy's not a huge jackass. He just doesn't (laughs) answer things into inane amounts of detail as I do. I just don't want to be misinterpreted as someone who's stupid because most often when I walk into a room, people think I'm not smart, right? Just like, I literally had an Airbnb and I'm free realize I'm doing the thing that you're talking about me doing, but it's like to lend context and to paint a bigger picture. Like I rented an Airbnb from a guy in Melbourne like two months ago and he stopped me mid conversation and was like, wow, like, you can actually speak pretty well. I'm like, that was the most <laughs> insulting fucking thing I've ever heard. Right? No, he so didn't say like, that. Come I on. fight an uphill battle by looking like this. It's like, oh, he can use words more than three syllables. It's like, he, I think he's dumb, so I need to hypercompensate with that and try and think of every single scenario possible and give a little bit of context as to what the answer might be in all these scenarios.
1: I mean, that's fair. So yeah. do you really need those glasses or do you just do it to look smarter? Me? Yeah, you're not wearing them now, obviously. He's but wearing contacts. he's blind. I'm surprised
2: you can't see them. I'm like, no, my you... right eye is negative 625 and my left eye is negative 575. You know what that means? So I you
1: have no idea what you're...
0: So, I, I'm negative 125.
1: So, the the bigger the negative, the more blind you are? I can see
2: through the wall behind you wearing these things. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a hipster move, man. I actually just sat that close to the TV but as the, a kid. Those or hipster
1: or glasses make, do look make you look smart. Yeah. Not that you're not actually smart, but they help. <laughs> For sure. Appreciate
2: it. Yeah, and, and I know that. That's why I bought the half-brim-looking Harry Potter ones, so people think I'm extra less
1: stupid. Uh, you know, I might get a pair. Just no, I'll put yeah, no you frames. You look really good. glasses. No, uh, no lenses in them.
0: Okay, anyway, so who the hell is Jordan Shallow for our listeners?
2: Well, I seeming as you know a lot about me, I thought you were just going <laughs> to tell them for me.
1: She only says the bad stuff.
2: Oh, he says the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if I can come in with any of the good stuff. Uh, I don't know. Where do you want me to start? Where that's that's a very isn't small, that the
0: most know. difficult question?
1: Yeah, that's
2: very like it's very esoteric. Right like, well,
0: now, what, what? Well, but you know what? So, hold on. It really I love asking that question because it you know it's almost like uh, it asks about who you think you are in terms of your identity and who I think I who I think you are in terms of your identity might be different who, to who you think you are. So that's always interesting. Like, what do you resonate? I know you you wear a lot of different hats and you do a lot of different things. So I'm just curious to know, like, what do you identify with the most? Yeah, it's, a,
2: it's almost like one of those, like, uh, blot tests.
0: Yeah. It's like,
2: what do you see? Yeah. Uh, like, everyone is like, I see a bat. But then someone sees, like, their dad, like... Running them into a closet as a kid or something. It's like, whoa, where'd you get that from?
0: <laughs> right. So there's no um, wrong answer here.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Work. right. Listen, wait, if I'm talking and you're listening, there's <laughs> definitely a wrong answer. Let's be really clear. Uh, who am I? Um, I? I usually go the work route. I, I'm like a chiropractor, strength and conditioning coach, um, and hobbyist power lifter and turned inadvertent. I, I hate to use the term because it sounds really silly. Like, somewhat educator and i'm going to air quote that and see if you could just delete that that'd be great because i feel real uncomfortable saying that <laughs> uh but i it's it's weird because i'll i'll get asked that questions in different ways in different forms and people are like oh yeah but like who are you it's like that, those are just your jobs it's like well i, I kind of take my jobs really seriously to the point that that is who i am so like that's kind of a manifestation of things that i really enjoy to do for whatever reason so uh as seemingly superficial as that is, there's some layers of complexity to that. Like I take seriously that I, you know, went to school for something and I practiced for a bit and I got some experience and I lifted some things and I talk about lifting the things and it might seem trivial to a lot of people, my parents included, um, because I just, I don't know they just think I sell drugs on the internet. I think, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so that's, I, I would say more so like, it's kind of like from a professional standpoint, like as professional as, as I am, I'm not wearing pants right now, by the way. Um, <laughs> Knew it. But that's kind of who I am, I guess, awesome. in a nutshell, is, is, is those a mix of those things, whatever those things are.
1: Cool. I, uh, I saw you've, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but from the outside looking in, it looks like you moved all, a, a lot of, or some of your seminars that you, that would have taken place in person online because of coronavirus or is it a separate thing?
0: Coronavirus, go ahead, sorry.
1: Thanks for that. Um, (laughs) uh, Is that what you did or is it a completely different thing? And Uh, and how are those going, because they look cool?
2: Yeah, so we had, um, up until the world shut down, a lot of what I did was show up in person and teach. Um, We were running an online course, um, for about almost a year up until this point, just it was a self-sustaining entity. It was something that I did in, would teach on the weekends. And I would teach online during the week and through word of mouth and social media, it was kind of self-sustaining. Um, but our big push was on the in-person stuff and continuing traveling around. So uh, since coronavirus, we've just pushed more of our focus, but there's also been more bandwidth to push the focus to like the audience for that type, kind of education was obviously a lot, um, a lot larger now as you know, coaches in our field like had more time to, to be able to seek out education like this, uh, and the nice thing is it removes the geographic geographical bottleneck. Like it can be hard to find in a single city, you know, thirty or forty people who are in it to this level that they want to learn to this depth. Um, so we've been kind of just continuing on the online as we had prior to everything shutting down. I've recently, as of today, actually just. Um, completed a course that was in person for Good Life Fitness in Canada. Now that's been filmed and edited and now that'll actually be rolled out in a uh, in an online iteration. So we've taken one course that we've taught in person and we've wrapped it up in a way that hopefully we can start to, over the course of six weeks, uh, replicate um, as close as possible like that course. But other than that it's kind of been status quo.
0: Awesome. So what's the, uh, what's the course about?
2: Uh, it's all based around the big three barbell lifts. Um, and what we do is set up like exclusion criteria more so. So a lot of it is like basically creating uh, kind of flow charts of who is a good candidate to be performing squat bench and deadlift. And if you're not, what are, the, what are the paths that lead to these three lifts at the end of the road rather than just walking someone in the gym the first day? they don't know their elbow from their kneecap and you're going to put a barbell on their back, um, with a very short runway of progression. So creating exclusion criteria around the big three lifts and progressing, regressing, um, adapting and optimizing those lifts. So that's going to be like the, the, the core, like the corpus of that course.
0: So what are some of the examples of people who shouldn't be doing those three lifts?
2: Well, if you can't get into a position unloaded, that's a pretty hard stop for me. Right, so people who can't get into proper positions for squat bench and then unloaded should probably not be loading them. Right, I think too often in the fitness community, there's uh, like I think of it like you need to have the proper movement like ingredients to put a squat together. Right, like you need to have like when I was a kid, I always make the example like I I played guitar, but when I was twelve, I didn't play guitar. I played Down by Blink One Eighty Two. I didn't play guitar. I knew <laughs> the, those like four chords right if you ask me to play like what what notes are those like i have no idea it's the third string on the set or the third fret on the second string because that's what ultimate guitar.com told me that was It's like i didn't know that was like a c or whatever right so a lot of people they think they're teaching how to squat but they're just teaching them one song they're not teaching first principles of movement right so you know if you can't If you, if I say like, Hey, bend your knee and you don't know how to do that. It's like, well, putting a bar on your back and then asking you to complete this equally as complex task simultaneously with a whole nother comp a whole nother, like uh, array of complex tasks in your body. And we can sort of bash it and with enough time to sit there and teach you like, okay, this is what a squat looks like. But if I asked you like how to, how to brace properly or how to, you know, stabilize your hip or how to, you know, move through your ankle, or keep extended your thoracic spine like if you don't have those ingredients you shouldn't be putting this together right like I see a lot of people trying to teach the squat and you know, they put like the ginger baby up there it's like look the gin- little ginger baby can squat or like they put the little guy in Thailand like hacking a dart in a full squat like that's some sort of proof of concept that like everyone should squat and that like to not do it is to overcomplicate the process it's like look our bodies have of no obligation to make sense to you Right. So in the case of who shouldn't be squatting, I would say most people, when they walk into the gym for the first time, they should not be squatting. Right. They should be put on a, a very specific progression to learn the notes in theory, play the notes individually, and then string them together in some sort of autonomous skill of the squat, but to to do that in like a very like young training age, I think is to do someone a massive disservice. Cause that they will at some point in their lifting career have to then go back and actually learn. Like I did, like, oh, what's a note? What's a treble clef and a bass clef? What's what is all this theoretical stuff that I've been missing? I've just been sitting there pissing my parents off playing down from Blink 182, and like I don't really have the prerequisite skills to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So, besides, so during the assessment process, besides doing unweighted movements, what is there any other, like, what else are you looking at well, to determine hits, whether or not people are proficient right. enough?
2: I mean, it depends on the lift, right? Like, let's squat might be the easiest to explain, albeit maybe one of the more complicated lifts to actually synchronize. So like the squat, you need to see how well you move through triple extension, knee, hip, and ankle, and then how well you can stabilize through the lumbo-pelvis and what kind of positions you can get your shoulders in, right? So I think assessment is a really nebulous term that oftentimes just looks at like range of motion, right? We think about a range of motion assessment, whether that's range of motion of like a bodyweight squat or range of motion at a particular joint, where it's like assessment needs to be looked at long term across three three continuous sort of pillars right where you have variability which might be akin to range of motion right joint variability then you have something that looks like capacity right like what when we reach these end range of motion what kind of capacity do we have and then when we get all the way out it's going to be power or strength right what happens like the assessment the assessment is too often like okay we check this box we've we have good range of motion of the shoulder we've done our wall angel tests and we can now license them to load whatever they want it's like no it has to continue long term right so for the squat for example it would be yeah. do you have passive range of motion of the hip do you can you extend and internally rotate your hip properly right is that lack of internal rotation if it's missing passively it's more than likely gonna exist under load and you're gonna have a whole bunch of issues in the way you sequence your squat then when we go to something like capacity it's like do you have the coordination to or to utilize the sum of your parts or the parts that make your sum. Like, can you do a lunge? Can you do a lunge without falling over? Because we know the only reason you're not falling over in a squat if you can't do a lunge is because you have a base of support based off of the fact you're using two feet and not one. right? So it's like if I can like highlight, do the adductor stabilize the pelvis? Does the glute med stabilize the lateral hip in isolation? It's like I know I have the ingredients to start to put this together to make an actual lift. Right, like A lot of people, when I watch them, put ingredients together to make a lift. Have you ever seen the show Chopped?
0: No. Yes. Come on.
2: Yeah, you have? Fuck of yeah, Cap. What, what have you guys been doing with your quarantine? <laughs> yeah. Are you watching Friend competition Chopped game is like, shows? It's called television. You haven't uh, hit the Food Network yet. Okay, I, I hope you get locked the down. Food, the Food season.
1: Network frustrates me. Yeah. I, if I'm thinking about food, I'm eating immediately. So I'm either ordering <laughs> Uber Eats, and my Food Network oh. is watching that little Uber Eats car get to my house on <laughs> I the miss app. Fireman,
2: <laughs>
3: Iron Chef yeah. used to be the greatest thing.
1: Yeah. Oh, man.
2: Well, I was a big fan of Early Seasons Master Chef, but we're not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> but
1: you
2: know, so so think of Chopped, right? Like Chopped, So Chopped is this show where they take a bunch of chefs and they put them in this kitchen, and everyone's getting filmed, and they go, all right, you need to make a dish, and they have, like, this huge pantry of shit, but they only get picked, like, very obscure ingredients. Like, all right, you need to make a pie out of, like, um, Paprika. I don't know, bourbon, <laughs> uh, uh, Twizzlers, and, like, cigarettes or something, and you're like, oh, fuck, like, how the hell... And, you know, they they put it together, and they kind of make it work. It's like, it's not an ideal circumstance, but they put the ingredients together. If you ask these same chefs to be like, here's pastry and apples and cinnamon make a pie, they're like, oh, okay, thank God. We have the option to put the ingredients in front of us to make these lifts very successful. Yet we take the cigarettes and the Twizzlers and decide to make a pie that way, right? Because it's like we feel like we're on the clock and pressured by like whether it's training a client or training an athlete, We don't understand, like, intent-driven programming, right? Like, what is that exercise doing but driving an adaptation, right? So it's, like, how do we drive the adaptation with using the ingredients we have? It's, like, if I have cigarettes and Twizzlers and it's, like, hey, well, rather than trying to make this complicated pie, all I need to make is cigarettes and Twizzlers, it's, like, well, here you go. Let's, let's have the exercise fit the desired adaptation patient given the ingredients that we actually have at our, our disposal. But the thing is with people and the way we can adapt is like you can change the ingredients you're working with, right? Rather than trying to jam like a Karen from a counting-shaped peg into a squat-shaped hole and just go, get the fuck in there, Karen. It's like, <laughs> yo, like she hasn't – like she, she played volleyball in high school until like she got to varsity and then she sucked. Like she's not – this is complicated. Like, and it's, it's not like cripplingly complicated, like, fuck, we figured it out. Like we're not the <laughs> smartest people in the world. Like you don't need a PhD, but you do need to respect that. Like, like, like your body's of no obligation to make sense to you. Like just because it's like, you see, and when like we, we watch you guys lift, it's like the, the, the artful expression of it is that you make it look easy. Right. And the mm-hmm. thing is, like, you know, how many people could go to, like, you know, all four of us and be like, oh, wow, like, you know, one, like, I, I could probably do that. It's like, maybe if you dedicated, like, a large portion of your life to it, right? Like, hey, one of the one of the things I quote you told me all the time is that Picasso photo, the oh, yeah. Picasso painting. Remember that? Yeah. And then you, you, I forget we were, like, driving. I think this was like seven Red Bulls deep somewhere in like the Louisiana border. I had like Riley on my, she's like threw up on me four times by now. And you were talking about like the, it was what, Picasso or Van Gogh or something was like drawing a painting or a, on a napkin was drawing yeah, on a napkin. It was like, some guy said, Hey, can I have that? He's like, yeah, it'd be $6,000. And it's like, wait, what you just, It took you six five minutes to draw? It's like, no, it took me my whole life. Right. And it's like I almost get offended when there's a narrative around the compound lifts, like, oh yeah, everyone everyone should be able to squat. It's like, what are you serious? Like, think of like Tom Platt or Ed Cohn or you know or Steffi or you know, um, or Dan, like these people who've dedicated their lives to it, and the next thing you know, it's like, Oh yeah, everyone should do it. Here's how you do it, real easy. And it's
1: like it's not easy.
0: How did we nice. get there? How do we get there? Like, why
1: well, I think why I, are
0: people so obsessed with, with squatting, deadlifting, compound movements? Like what what I, are you thinking?
1: Well, I think part of it also comes from the fact that most people in our positions don't think that way. We've been doing it for so long, you know, we're and our technique has been something that we've worked on for so long until you find something that works great for you but you forget that whole process. And a lot of people just think that it's an easy movement and because you can do it proficiently, then everyone you coach should also do it proficiently. And then you get frustrated when they can't do it first try. You know, and then I think it's like kind of a self-fulfilling I also think there's,
3: there's pendulum swings, right? So.
1: Yeah, it's popular right now.
3: People, yeah, people were told never do any of these things are really, really dangerous. And then sometimes people say everyone should do it all the time. And, you know, forever is the only thing you do for exercise. And then you go back and forth, kind of get overreaction after overreaction. And the truth is somewhere in the middle that you can probably tolerate, you know, some amount of error in a movement, but you probably shouldn't do way more than what you're prepared for. And these movements aren't inherently dangerous, but they are tough skills to learn and they, you need to learn them in order to do them really well.
1: And movements that require preparation and coaching.
3: Yeah. For sure yeah it's a lot that like powerlifting
2: isn't necessarily seen as a conventional sport right like you know everyone's up the last dance thing and everyone's all of a sudden like a a basketball fan now and it's like but you know no one's gonna go like hard in the paint because they understand like i should probably learn how to do like a bounce pass than a chest pass they're not gonna go like Dr. J Julius Irving, like moon hook shot from the three point. It's like, no, like they or like Vince Carter between the legs and like the, the, the dunk competition. It's like, they look at that and go, Oh, that's a sport. I understand when I go down to the park with fellas that we're just kind of messing around, but they go to the gym and they think, Oh, I saw this on Instagram and not ESPN or not some Netflix documentary. So it's like, I could do this because it's not, it's not really a sport. So they don't respect the skill that's involved in actually, like, performing these movements at, like, a very high level.
0: Yeah, because it's seemingly very simple, right? I mean, if the bar moves up or down, then up, or up then down the deadlift. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, what are the barriers of entry for someone to be able to put a bar on their back and just sit down and stand back up, you know? Whereas, like, even, like, when you think about boxing, too, who would pick up a pair of gloves and schedule a fight with, <laughs> with no with no training? <laughs> 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 no no so yeah, it's
2: I, I think people think that they're licensed to be able to do it and i think a large part of the reason is that people are selling them that license
1: sure
2: people are selling them like there's an anti-intelligence movement which is really frustrating across the world like like i look at people who say like oh everyone should be able to squat and stop over complicating it just sit down and stand up it's like okay these are like the flat earthers of the fitness industry. Like, <laughs> I no, love that. Stop it! Like you're telling people what they kind of want to hear, and you're making like a like an ethos, and you're making a community around people who are drinking bleach and squatting like their novice clients. It's like it's stop ruining this thing that we love by oversimplifying it to your own game just because you don't understand it.
1: You you think barriers to entry have something to do with that too? Just in in terms of the like if I want to go try to squat, you know, I I can get a, I can sign up for a free pass trial at a gym and, and go try and do it. If I want to go try hockey, oh, I just need 10 grand worth of equipment. And uh, how much does it cost to rent a rink or, <laughs> per hour? You know, it's it's, like, yeah. it, it's it, like that kind of stuff is difficult. And I think because the barriers to entry are low, it plays into that as well. You know, you, you see something online, you're like, oh, that guy's muscular. I'm muscular. I could probably do that. And then you go try it. And I'm going to push
3: back a little bit on this.
1: You don't think? Let's hear your no. thoughts.
3: So um, to go back to the basketball analogy, in my mind, it's it's a problem of constraints. But like there's no harm in someone getting a little kitty basketball hoop and pretending they're Julius Erving, right? The five foot high hoop and doing whatever crazy skill they want. It's not dangerous. Um, and it's not, I mean, they're, they're not gonna get, they're gonna get better at the five foot high basketball hoop, but they actually might develop some skills. Wow. The problem is with the gym and a thousand pounds of plates, people don't know what their limits are. And they, they overreach very easily, you know, for whatever reason, because again, they're not constrained. So the coach's role is to constrain them, right? Is to give them, right, a path to, to figure out on their own. If we, if we instead, say that right that's a different way of thinking of it but because you can say well yeah just sit down and stand up yeah you can say that as long as they're put in in inside of their own limits
1: well what if, let me pose right? it and to they, a different way what what if it's skiing slap a pair of skis on the bottom of your feet and try to go down the well, hill yeah
3: but you put them on the essentially i mean there there's a way to teach ski you wouldn't teach people skiing turn by turn you give them some basic rules and you put them on a bunny hill and let them figure it out let them fall a bunch of times but right, you wouldn't push them off a cliff. Sure. And say, let's say I'll see you at the bottom. <laughs> 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 um, right, you wouldn't give them the hardest keys cruel. to handle. You wouldn't give them no poles. You wouldn't send them down a super pipe. You would gradually change the environment to allow them to figure out how to fail on their own. So there is a failure-safe way to, to, in my mind, actually to, especially squatting and deadlifting, because deadlifting you can just put the bar down, and squatting if you're if you're in a good Safe environment. There's pins, or you can drop it. Um, there's easy ways to fail, and creating that 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 safety is really important for learning. Mm-hmm. And those errors are important, but it's really the coach just just making sure that people don't get in their own way. right? And then you can you can give these rules and these and these frameworks for understanding the movement, but even those aren't a subs. Like you can give someone the framework which Jordan does all the time, and I'm not saying he doesn't do this, but like someone can get all this knowledge if there's no interaction with the coach and say, okay, I know conceptually how to squat. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I forget whether they can actually do it, right? They're in no better shape before than they actually have to go and do it, right? Right. The rubber has to hit the road in the practice environment. And that is always a kind of environment with, with bumper plates. Regardless of, but, whether, regardless of whether the coaches like just sit down and stand up, or the coach says put every you know on, on both extremes, put every bone in every place, which you're not doing, obviously, but some people will do.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's a conversation around are you like you should be putting yourself your clients or yourself in a position where you're going to win from optimizing. Mm-hmm. And I think where a lot of people um, would would probably further their ability to acquire skill. If they adapted, they adapted the movement. Like a lot of people just try and optimize a really shitty squat because they don't have those fundamental ingredients. Right. Like that's like Hades skiing retort and being like, we're starting off with a bunny hill, but what you don't know is that bunny can go to from like blue bunny green hill to double black real quick. It's like your kids just go in and he's doing the pizza pie thing. And next thing you know, it's like GT slalom course. And that's like, oh, a 10-pound squat felt pretty good, then all of a sudden you can hur- hur- hurl yourself off a cliff by mm-hmm. slapping on a few wheels and seeing how you go. And, like, the idea that, like, oh, there's safeties there and things like that, it's like, yeah, I've seen there, like, I've seen guys knock themselves out, and like, herniate, like, just go over the top with it. Like, you got to know how to fail. But knowing how to fail is knowing how to move, not knowing how to squat.
3: Yeah. I think we're on the, the same page there. And it's also the idea that there's a lot of degrees between a bunny hill and a double black diamond I think is the really powerful point there
1: like, yeah but it depends what yeah. hill you go to bunny hill at, at some places is the double black diamond at others you know you ever been to Glen Eden back in Canada Uh Jordan yeah. that whole thing is a bunny hill you know yeah. compared to and a place into, like, blue. like we were
2: literally in Banff like a few months ago and there it, it goes from blue to double black and I was like well I guess I'm gonna spend two hours walking down this because there's no (laughs) fucking way I'm hurling my 260 pound ass over those mountains, like jagged rocks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, and it comes down to context, right? Which is really hard thing. And like, because everyone wants to buy into it, like a system that's laid out for them and it removes the responsibility to actually think and think critically. So it's like if it doesn't work, then we can pin it on this particular system, mm-hmm. right? Rather than pinning it on ourselves and actually finding some meaning in how we make a living. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay, so now that we okay, you've identified whether or not a person can do a movement unloaded, then what's the next step?
2: It depends on the movement. Do you want to stick with squats?
0: Sure.
2: Like with squats, it's so variability, capacity, and power can closely replicate like do you have the range of motion to get in this position? Yes, no. Joint variability. Do you have the capacity, which is basically, do you have these fundamental movement prerequisites that we can start to put these ingredients together to actually make something to express power? Do you have stability and range of motion? Right. Like, you, you know, if you have adequate range of motion through both of your ankles, we can rule out that if you have a hip shift, that that is going to come from dorsiflexion issues on one side. Right. Then, if we go to some sort of unilateral movement pattern. I like variations of of lunges or split squats and we can start to say, oh, look, like your trunk can counter rotate to the left and can't counter rotate to the right. So when we do this, it's a fundamental issue in rotation or bias through the trunk or rib cage. Right? So that is something that when we put that together, we might be able to hide it under the rest of the structural stability that we have in this lift. But at some point in heavy enough weight where that pipe's going to burst, it's going to burst there. And we're going to start to have a hip shift, but it's not coming from our ankle. We know that it's coming from like a capacity to anti-rotate, right? So testing all the different movements and anti-movements that go into a squat. And for me, like a large part of it comes through like the trunk and, and, and hips, like testing the lumbo-pelvis through unilateral gait cycle, stationary, walking, uh, single leg RDL, hip airplanes, if we have like a wider stance and we actually need to show some capacity and a greater degree of abduction and rotation of the hips, if I have someone who's sumo deadlifting, I want to see that they have variability in that joint to abduct and externally rotate like somewhat passively or actively, flexibility or mobility then I want to see, okay, can we on one leg ex- express some sort of capacity to control movement into that particular range? Then we look at the power, right? The third part of the assessment, which is, okay, now do we have the strength? Like, does your sumo stuck because your hamstrings are really weak or your quads are really weak, right? Like if you look at when we get to that final stage, that power standpoint, it's like, do we have do we have the strength now? And this comes like, you know, if you needed to fix your squat at – to fix your technique you would have to you what would fix your technique would be i don't know like strengthening hamstrings glutes quads right but to fix a novice technique it's likely going to be something akin to capacity right or range of motion or variability right like where once you graduate through this the assessment doesn't really stop now it's like what needs to be improved upon is actually the strength right like you know, if a, an advanced lifter's knees if they're coming in, that's not like oh, like you go do your single leg work. It's like no, the knees coming in an advanced lifter is probably an expression of like the actual lateral stabilizers of the hip stabilizing the femur. Like your knees come in, Dan Dan's knees come in, Olympic weightlifters knees come in, right? So I mean, from the start, do you have range of motion at the joint? Right. Can we stabilize these joints at end range under some sort of load that is going to test capacity? And that could be. Look, I don't care if it's kettlebells. I don't care if it's barbells. I don't. Do you have capacity of that joint to be able to to, to hold up this system under load? If yes, we have good ingredients now to be able to put this together and actually assess power and strength.
0: Bro, am okay. I leading this conversation? You guys have nothing to say. I huh? keep testing them.
1: That's your question, man. I,
2: um, I thought I did a great job at answering it. That's when I just stunned silence. Is what I
0: saw. <laughs> in terms of in terms of capacity, um, you know, and and that this is something that we've always gone back and forth about. You know, the whole stability argument that I still think about every day. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna go there. But the, what I struggle about is just how how can you actually quantify whether or not someone's lacking stability or not? You know, and and I go back at it because I don't know the way I see it is this uh, this the process sounds great on paper but I feel like I've seen so many lifters who literally great lifters who literally skip all of those steps and likely when you test them in in one of or all of these they'd likely fail but they're still I don't know squatting 800 pounds right that's a two-part question I guess
1: yeah so so Jordan in your opinion for a guy like let's say like Dan Bell for example you know, squats eleven 1, hundred pounds or whatever ridiculous amount of weight. If I got him to do a hip airplane, I bet you he's ending up on his butt. I could be wrong. He might be. He might yeah. be very stable. But let, let's say that that's the case. You know, right? Um, what 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 do you think of a scenario like that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Dan Bell's a very special human being because I I think from a generalist perspective, you shouldn't make law from bad cases, right? Like. Michael you don't want Michael Phelps to teach you how to swim right because what's he going to teach you like how I've to smoke some a bowl and like <laughs> yeah. how to be seven foot and eat 10,000 calories a day like that doesn't yeah. stack up to Karen from accounting right, right? like good a- like good athletes are compensatory monsters mm-hmm. right that's what makes them so good they're just better at adapting like everyone sort of dealt a-, a deck and the ones that are better able to play their hand are the ones that ascend to like the long tail ends of overlapping distributions of like a, like elite athletes and mere mortals, right? That's why the Olympics is like, this, is, these are not like, when we've met people like that and the, where it's like, you're, you're playing with a different, you're playing with a different set of rules, right? Mm-hmm. So Dan Bell has become the shape of his sport. I think oftentimes we get, um, we get symmetry and sports performance mixed up, and we think
0: I they're the same thing.
3: I want you to go into that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I
3: like, so your thoughts? I remember you responded to like you know people just trashing some like LeBron video of LeBron squatting, and you're like, oh, Don't I saw be that rant. A strength coach who like who asserts your value just by knowing good how their
2: squat looks like. Yeah,
1: yeah we have to touch yeah, on that okay. after that was hilarious. So this
2: but. is the thing, right? Like, <laughs> I got into powerlifting. I I'm a strength and conditioning coach and I'm not a strength and conditioning coach in the sense that I'm a powerlifter that knows a little bit about squat and bench technique and deadlift technique, kind of. And then that makes me take athletes and make them good at squat, bench, and deadlift. That's not what a strength and conditioning coach is. Strength and conditioning coach has an objective metric that's outside the fucking weight room, right? So you become an adjunct to an overarching sport or uh, objective outcome. That's not how much they lift. Right? Christian yeah. McCaffrey, when he was at Stanford, that fucking kid could not bench 225 to save his goddamn life. And he went first round in the draft and is absolutely crushing. His strength coaches, all they made sure they did, that he did was he didn't trip over him. shit in the weight room.
3: Yeah, don't hurt yeah. him. Yeah, don't, yeah, hurt, don't
2: him. hurt him because he's a fucking freak of nature. Right? So like to hear powerlifting people who super specialize in teaching the technique of squat bench and deadlift who, who have a fucking three inch vertical and don't even don't know the difference between you know uh, interval training and repeated sprintability when they start to throw their hat into the strength conditioning it's like okay alright the adults are speaking here please keep your opinions <laughs> off the internet you have no idea what it's like to actually train a real athlete sure. right? so that's, that's it, whoa, it's such whoa, what a, do you
0: mean a real athlete
2: like a real athlete Like
3: LeBron is a real athlete.
2: Like LeBron James, (laughs) like he's a different, he's a different, if, if we were, I forget, Hey, help me out. There's, I think it's Ricky Gervais does a bit on animals. And it was like, look, like taxonomy of animals is a really interesting study where it's like, there's a bunch of bats that are classified as different bats that don't need to be different bats. Cause they're like, Oh, this is just a chubby bat. And then we're just (laughs) going to totally make a new phylum and subspecies for chubby bat. If we looked at human beings the same way, Like LeBron James would be part of a whole nother classification of human beings, right? Like, you know, if you think about Marcus's birthday gift and LeBron James as the same animal in a forest, it's like they're two – like one guy was – Three foot two, and the other guy's six foot eight. Like, there's no comparison, right? So when I say real athletes, it's like there's a book called The Sports Gene.
0: I feel like we need to go into more depth uh, before we continue about Marcus's birthday gift.
1: I think that might be when we we just leave up to everyone's imagination, and you can continue. (laughs) I don't think that needs to be (laughs) clarified.
2: But like, if you read the book called The Sports Gene by David Epstein, right? And like, and we've met like Steph. You could very much argue that you fall into this category. Right? Of like, oh, I just, well, what's this barbell doing over here? (laughs) What was your first deadlift? The first thing you did was like 350? Is this how you do
1: it? (laughs)
2: Yeah. (laughs) But like, that's not normal, right? Like, when you deal with like people who don't have that, that's like, that's the subdivide of human beings into like people that do things and people that are athletes, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like, when you have to, when you look at sports performance and getting back to the original point of like sports performance and symmetry are asymmetrical. Right? Like um, I have a friend in Toronto. He's a boxer. His name is Samuel Vargas. And Sammy walks around the grocery store like this. <laughs> and it's like, Sammy, you're in Whole Foods. You're Colombian. You're, you have face tattoos. You're scaring the shit out of everyone. No one's going to try and punch you in the face in Whole Foods. Like I can guarantee you it's just not going to happen. But he's the shape of this sport. Right? This makes Sammy very proficient as a default normal because no one's going to be able to clip his chin whether it's, you know, in the frozen food section or whether it's, you know, in Madison square garden. Right. So a a less than diligent rehab, Mayo, whatever the fuck therapist is going to go like, like look at that kyphotic posture. Look at that thoracic spine. Think of the rib rotation. We need to balance you out. It's like balance you out leaves this guy way out in the open Mm -hmm. and Sammy's going to get dropped in the first round. It's like, a strength coach's job is like, how do we keep this system? And it's system doesn't just mean strength either. Like system could be cardiovascular, right? System could be neuromuscular. There's a lot that goes into like training an athlete outside of just the, the biomechanics of it. Right. So someone, some less than diligent, you know, someone's got their kinesiology degree and they're a registered kinesiologist or fuck, even like a chiropractor or PT, who just got taught the geriatric shit that we all learn and never went out and garnered any experience in the field is going to go, we're going to thoracic extension and we're going to go through, we're going to do pal-off presses. It's like pal-off presses. <laughs> Fuck off with your pal-off presses. He's going to be doing this and then someone's going to go punch his fucking lights out, right? So sports performance is like, taking that Icarus journey towards the sun without getting burned. It's like, okay, with a pitcher, how can we maintain enough of an anterior arc of that rotation in the shoulder that we can still generate torque from the shoulder rather than generating torque at the elbow. How can we stop this guy from having to have Tommy John surgery? I don't want him to be like, you know, namaste in my hot yoga class and like perfectly symmetrical. It's like, I need that imbalance to generate the kind of power required to throw 104 miles an hour off a mount. Right. So it's like, I think people just use the term strength conditioning coach. Cause like, there's not really, like you take your CSCS, but there's not an overarching, like an overarching governing body that really looks at it and they just can make these proclamations and they're just like like LeBron James if double back that it's like it doesn't matter like it, it doesn't fucking matter like if, if that 95 pound good morning upright what, would it be an exercise I do? Probably not did anyone ask the context of where that existed in a program? No, no they just went like here's my opinion <laughs>
1: fuck sure. off we're- and also, what's like, what's the opportunity cost of teaching that guy taking all that time to get him to do a full squat? Like, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. You know, he's got four foot long shins and four foot long femurs. He's never going to get into the right position, no matter how much you hammered into him. It's just like, do what you can do, and let's move on to the next. Yeah, thing. that's
3: going it- to be the thing that, that you know that sends him over. You know. To six more championships, so you're gonna be, right. be the guy. That'll kids. end the debate between Michael and LeBron. <laughs> yeah, who if can, you can depth? go like to yeah. the, the house depth? or the four oh five? LeBron <laughs> could squat, so that's why he takes it. Right,
0: and <laughs> I mean, I think I think where people get it wrong is that the squat is not on, is not the only way to build strength, leg strength. There's so many other movements you can do, especially not if you're not proficient. And again, back to the time, time and effort. It's like, how much time are you going to spend of of his life trying to have a perfect squat so that you can, so then you can load it safely. And even then, you know, their risk, I feel like outweighs their reward when there are so many other movements that you could be doing to strengthen this guy's legs, you know?
2: And yeah, it's, it's, it it comes back again to like an inability to understand intent-based programming, right? Like when I was in the weight room at Stanford, it's like you had half these kids that were unbelievable athletes like Cal and ID transferred from track and field. You asked them to do a, like a, a power clean, hang clean, like triple extension. Like they, they should go into Olympic weightlifting. Like don't do, don't go rugby. Just go to Olympic. weight. That was incredible. But it's like, okay, what is the intent of that exercise? Like, okay, we want to, we want to peak like power development, right? That we're not going to do cleans for conditioning. This is not CrossFit. We're not going to do cleans or, or snatches for, um, you know, general body composition or, or muscle hypertrophy. It's like, we want to build top end speed and power. Right. But for some of the kids that walked in and like, yeah, they were, they were brute force and they were great on a pitch. Their, their intent or their exercise that would be implanted into that intent based program was a box jump. Like, Hey, Steve, hang snatch just below the knee or hang clean, power clean, whatever. Uh, Hey, uh, Derek, Box jump, A one exercises both working on developing peak power, but just two mediums and understanding that look the level of complexity that the 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 hang um, the hang clean would take to teach you from an opportunities cost standpoint, like what you were saying, hey. See, I had to spend a whole offseason to make this kid Olympic weightlifter just to turn around to make him a rugby player in three months, like not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Jump on the damn box and we'll drive the same adaptation at a lesser relative complexity to your skill set, and then we just carry on
3: with the rest of the session.
0: Jordan Bath yeah, here Oh sorry, Ian, go ahead.
3: Yeah, that's a common thing in strength and conditioning that the kind of the middle of the of the power curve, there's kind of weightlifting movements and strength coaches get lost they're like, well, we want to develop power with some external loading. The only thing I know how to do is is snatch or clean so i guess we're teaching everyone snatch or clean right this there's, there's so many you have to get a little more creative than that when you when that opportunity cost to actually teach someone those movements is really high right if they come in pretty well skilled in it then you can then you have some room to play with but other than that like you have to do right box jumps or loaded box jumps or or heavy or, or dynamic trap bar activity like you can you can you have more wiggle room than people think but sometimes people are like so biased into their own little camp of the strength and conditioning world where they think that that's that's the magic exercise that bridge champions
0: it's such a thin line because how do you go from you know there's this whole stick to the basics kind of movement as well where it's like squat bench deadlift uh, hinge carry whatever whatever the five things are And, you know, how far away can you get from that before you become kind of like a movement clown? You know, the guy with the 17 bands and the freaking med balls and, you know.
2: Yeah, I think for me it's like how, I mean, it depends on if you're working with an athlete individually or in a team setting. That drastically changes your, your footprint on what it is you could do. Like, if you're working in a team setting, the optimal session is the one that you can get 20 to 50 athletes through in an hour and then get them onto their skills coaches. Right. Like if I'm working, like I, I work with a handful of guys uh, in the NFL one-on-one and I can go pretty like detailed on when we load unilateral movements, I want to load, you know, ipsilateral on this side contralateral for this guy. This is why he's a kicker. He's a quarterback. He's alignment. So, but if I have to think about constructing, And this is why a lot of them go down the individual coaching route and are going away from team S and C, especially in the off season Mm -hmm. is like, you need to be empathetic to that strength coach who's running like, yeah, you can do bigs and skills. Great. So your O-line and your defensive line, maybe your maybe running backs are going to do similar workouts and then your your wide receivers, your quarterbacks, and your kickers are going to do another one, right? Big skills. And But it's like, I, at what point have you gone too far into fractionating a workout down to the level of the individual? It's like, I think if you don't have a good assessment of variability, capacity, and power for every individual, and you don't have an understanding of those drop-down menus of the intent-based programming structure, then you're just going to left like I, I could send you programming that some of my guys send me and it's, it is the 12 gauge sawed off of programming. It's like non-specific, big spread. You're going to catch something. Right. And it's going to, but it, sending this out to what shit a practice squad of 90 guys. It's like, you know, some people are going to be more proficient. So you see a little mix of everything in there But it's like, look, if you're dealing with really high level assets, like, the the amount of specificity that's needed to garner like a a 0.5 percent increase in performance, albeit relatively or absolutely a small value relative to their already advanced skill, that's gonna that's you know that's 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 measurable. That is more than just that is statistically significant progress 0.5 percent at that end of the performance spectrum. but I think there are there are basic first principles to answer your question more directly. There are basic first principles of movement you have to abide by. Right? Like gravity exists. We need to respect that. There's 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 science on the fringes of this that keep the decision making process off.
0: We lost, we lost
1: you. you. <laughs>
2: if i just did that yeah, you're, you're back, back. Yeah, not good yeah. once the boasted ball guy like started running around with like yo-yos in his hands and shit i was like all right we might be on the fringes of what's acceptable in the you know in the current literature around sports science so I think that's where science is going to play a big role is helping to make like data-driven decisions in the weight room. But there are there's a huge amount of variability and individualization you can make within the confines of our current our current understanding of, of driving physiological adaptation.
3: Yes. So I got two things there. Uh one, I think to the point that how do we how do we balance this, this kind of romantic notion of, of the big patterns or like the extra you know, the primitive lifts, like squat bench, deadlift, push, pull,
1: carry. primitive. How dare you?
3: Yeah. Um, and how do we respect that on one end or on the other end, you know, drive some, some individualization, I think, I think it comes from the idea that you you use those you layer an exercise program on top of those primitives. You don't just take away everything and go down to the essence because they're somehow because they're primitive and that makes them special. Um, when I think about the the professional essence environment, I think is really interesting because I think there's there in some organizations more than others is a big push towards um, more data driven decision making and analytics. And in some ways, the weight room is the last place to get that. Um, they get fancy toys and stuff for you know that they that they show front end you know the front end management that they're doing things that'll make the cars go faster but they're not actually optimizing their system like they could they could individualize programs and understand what what people respond to and understand what people like or will do and build those into their design systems but again that's not just not the priority right now they, they'd rather you know spend their money tracking player movement during games and then you know measuring you know you know playing kind of the statistics game on you know either in the in the 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 coaching decision making and then in the the practice and like player management and then right and then or in player procurement and recruiting and then the last thing to come is is strength conditioning because that also Uh, is the the levels of emphasis in the organization
2: yeah and strength coaches get lost i think (laughs) like because they start chasing some of the metrics that cap was talking about it's like if you have a four stack if you have gps data yeah. then they just start to play in this this little side game that's going on while there's a whole game going out on the field and a record over there that also matters it's like you're a you're a part of what's called a high performance model right that has the the med staff the skill staff the coaching staff that the players and then you're a you're a cog in the machine right yeah. and it, it is It is helpful if someone understands the sport and the systems fatigue and the positions fatigue that comes with actually executing and playing the sport at a high level. And I think hyper-specificity might be part of uh, an answer to your question is like, I feel like a lot of people go down the route of hyper-specificity in their training to match the shapes of the sport that they find themselves into. Like the last thing I think a mixed martial art, Fighter UFC fighter has to do in their training, if part of their training includes striking, is throwing a medicine ball forward. Because it's like, well, we're we're kind of just trotting that same path or trotting that same path that we're going to be trotting when we strap the gloves on later on this afternoon when you go with your striking coach. Right? It's like we don't need to be like, oh, see, we're going to we're gonna do barbell hip thrust because when we're, we're, we're grappling in BJJ, someone's on us and we need to shoot the hips off and because we need to go through that movement. It's like, all right, well, if you're going through that movement, then maybe the barbell hip thrust is the last thing we have to do. Like if you're grappling constantly, the way you're going to better move a person off you by using your hip extensors and your glutes is likely by moving people off of you with your hip, like your glute max and your hip yeah. extensors, right? So then to double down, it's like I love and I don't love memes, but this is one thing that quarantine has led me to start to uh, find some humor in is like the meme of the water polo player with the water bottle in the pool (laughs) is like, that's strength and conditioning. It's like the people look at themselves like they're savants, like, They can freeze frame a single moment in time of an athlete's relative joint position on a a field or in a whatever, whatever their field of play is, and they go, we need to strengthen that. It's like if that guy is finding himself in that position and practicing that particular range under some sort of resistance during the actual execution and practice of the skill of the sport itself, we might want to not double down on fatiguing those muscles in the weight room prior to or after he's gone through and executed those relative joint positions that are low.
0: How about just working on absolute strength? I don't know. The way I see it is if there's two, two fighters, both of the same exact skill and experience level, don't you think that there's a huge advantage in the, the, the fighter that's a little bit stronger in terms of absolute strength? No. Yeah.
2: It like depends that. on the system that's going to fail first. Like in skill-based sports, the lungs will go before the muscles do. Right? Like I'm pretty strong. But I have friends that like wrestle BJJ and I'm strong for like 20 seconds. And then my lungs say, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think when fighting, if we're going specifically with that answer, like you'd be better off building a, a, like a uh, extra physiological cardiovascular work capacity, than building top head strength. But I think that principle that you're saying isn't lost. I think it just depends on what your bottleneck of performance in that sport might be, right? Mm-hmm. Two equally skilled linemen that are, you know, however you can can quantify skill or being able to read plays or whatever, if you make one of those guys stronger than another, then you're you're dealing with a very uh, you're dealing with a very formidable opponent or a much more formidable opponent if he's stronger, right? And I think fighting, albeit seemingly like a very brutish endeavor, as you guys probably are finding out as you kind of like venture off and, and are sampling with different striking and kicking and things like that, it's a very skillful endeavor. So I think if we look at the, you know, athletic tasks between the spectrum of skill and power, it's like, okay, skill base is going to be more to the end of like, look, conditioning is really going to help you. Um, where power base is like, okay, strength is likely going to help like a football player. Yeah. They need some capacity and they need some lungs because they're long games and brutal seasons. But in the actual bout of the 10 to 15 seconds of a, of a, of a down, He's not going to be tapping into an energy system that really requires any sort of like um, like lactic threshold to be pushed. It's like if this guy can bench 405 and this guy can bench 315, I don't want to be on the other side of the line of the guy that can bench 405.
0: Yeah, I guess I, guess I want to just reframe my statement then. It, I don't think it's a matter of building top end strength you know, finding your one rep max squad, but I think it's more about having a base level of strength.
1: I, I think you're you know, right. Because,
0: and because there's, you know, it's law of diminishing returns. There's going to get to a point where like too much strength isn't serving you any purpose and might actually be doing you a disservice.
1: And I think that you, the approach you take in terms of strength training depends obviously on the person as well, because of that point, you know, there are guys all else equal cardio included, with a a guy who has a strength surplus might have a bit of an advantage. And a great example of that would be a guy like GSP, George St. Pierre, who's, you know, he has great cardio. He's super, you know, his fight intelligence is super high. And he's also like a big gym guy, you know? But there's definitely examples. I don't know if you remember Czech Congo, but he was a huge muscle bound guy, so explosive, so strong. But if he didn't finish a fight in the first round, it was a, it was a problem for him. So it, 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 it's like anything, right? Where you just have to tailor the training approach to the, to the athlete and what their needs are. Uh, Uh, What's going
0: to happen? Sorry, go ahead.
3: I, I like the point about keeping the objective, the objective. So the objective function of, of, of training for a sport is performance in that sport um and there are many features that predict performance in that sport and it might be that in a lot of situations skill like the skill or the the specific ability to execute events in that sport is probably so predictive that a lot of the value of strength training is actually it's just time that gives you a break from skill training so that you can go and do skill training more so the strength training serves practice which serves performance so it's actually it's a step removed from we think about oh strength these these strength qualities that we develop in the gym improve game day performance what if we just what if we take them a step away from from that and say okay they, they improve practice tolerance or practice ability and then practice improves performance right well that's
2: like this idea that a lot of what you're doing especially in the short off season you have short like you're going into June with a good yeah. hockey team. You're, those guys are going into camp in like eight weeks, right? They go to Cancun with the boys. They tie one on. They blow it up their nose. They hope no one finds out. They get back. They're 15 pounds overweight. And it's like, fuck, you got six weeks before this guy is like, the GM's breathing down his neck. He's yeah. back in. the. It's like, that's tough because you've got to show up and perform this season because you just won the Stanley Cup, right? And like different sports come with it, different um, limitations and different uh, challenges in the off season, but hockey particularly running in basketball, very similar. If you're a good team, it is harder to maintain that it is an entropic endeavor because the likelihood that you are going to be able to make the strides that is necessary in an off season, you have two and a half less months to do so. So there's a difference. And this is where like, again, we contrast like strength coach and powerlifter who knows how to squat. It's like, there's a difference between inoculating a stimulus and actually adapting to a stimulus. Right, so a lot of what you do in late late stages of an off season, going into a camp, is is all you want to do is inoculate to the stimulus that they're going to be in, like mm-hmm. uh, undergo, so that they can still perform the skill. And to some ways, so what Cap was saying, it's it's almost like a learning tool. Uh, if you think of like you know, if you look at like epistemology or study around actual knowledge and attaining information, the idea of interleaving is a very good way to actually start to build skills. Right. Like if I sat there and we've all done this, like crammed for tests, it's like I might be able to recall, like by proxy, some of the information. But if I studied 30 minutes a day for two, three weeks and I had bouts of not studying in between those, I would show that that interleaving process is going to improve my retention of information. Right. So if the weight room can almost be seen as a means of like, breaking out of some of these patterns to allow us to interleave between the bouts of skill that we're actually practicing on the field that can in turn have a positive impact on our objective outcome.
3: Mm-hmm. And I, I think the example of, uh, baseball pitching you gave it earlier, um, right, preserving a pitcher is very hard because the movement is about as, you know, challenging on a human body as any movement in sports. You, I think you can argue, um, uh, is Jordan cut out? No. Just,
2: atten- just attentively listening.
3: Okay, so you're there. Never mind. Um, but So some of the value in my mind of getting them in the weight room is that they're no longer pitching as much.
0: <laughs> yeah, can we re- – oh, <laughs> okay. Literally is the, like, the, not pitching. Br- I've always wanted to bring this up on a podcast, and this is the perfect moment to do it. Can we briefly talk about um, – Wow, what's his name that's training a uh, fighter? Powerlifting coach guy.
1: Oh, uh, uh, Gary from um, Garrett from Legion Iron, formerly Massonomics. He's like he up uh, Masthetics. Masthetics, Sorry, Massonomics <laughs> is a group of friends of ours. That's different. Uh, but yeah, Masthetics was the old sort of.
0: George, uh, do you know about this?
1: No, you know who they're training, or he's training? Who? John Jones. He's like there Great. in his corner and everything. It's crazy. He's in there. He got the good dough.
0: Did he lose a fight recently?
1: Uh, I think it was a year back or so when he first started training with them, and uh, the media was ripping John apart for like doing powerlifting. <laughs> for doing powerlifting, yeah. Like, oh, he's getting too too big, <laughs> strong, and it's ruining his his fighting. But he, didn't, I don't think he lost actually. I think he just didn't win that decisively which now he's actually getting shit for because he's like, he just doesn't put in as much effort when he's not challenged. He just does what he has to do to win kind of thing. But I don't know if some a mean, correlation could be a, drawn there.
2: He's a really good, I, I don't know this mass ec- aesthetics, whatever it was. I don't know who he is. So, and again, like I'm mindful, of, like, look, people might look at what I do with my athletes out of context and, and, draw a conclusion that is not fair to my thought process. Cause they don't know my thought process. So I don't know. Like, I I, I have a very peripheral understanding of the players in, in UFC and mixed martial arts. I know enough to know who John Jones is, which is saying that he's probably a really good fighter. Uh, as long as, I mean, One a of lot best. of what you're doing at, at that level is worrying about the, st- the statistic of man games lost right which in a fighting perspective would be looking at training days lost because you really only have one game or fight right like no one i haven't known anyone to not show up or uh be injured on a day due to a lifting injury like we do we need to respect that lifting is inherently safe especially when the sport you're comparing it to is <laughs> trying to rip another guy's heart out of his chest with your six ounce gloves right so it's like Yeah, if it is a novel stimulus that doesn't take away from the skills training that I'm sure this guy is unbelievably uh, talented and gifted for, because I know who he is as a UFC fighter, then mass uh, economics dude is probably doing a hell of a job. Like, don't stub his toe. Don't do the thing. I always pinch my finger between 25-kilo plates in (laughs) a meat prep, and it fucks up at least one of my deadlift sessions.
1: Uh, Don't do that.
2: Load the fucking bar for him. You know? make sure that when water comes in I'm pretty sure there's a guy that smokes a lot of dope like that you piss for him and you piss clean and he's then he's actually tested positive
1: right? for for uh, performance enhancing drugs twice
0: wow really yeah
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Cool. and i guess and then there might be another another reason why you're hiring a guy named mass aesthetics or whatever <laughs> to be in your corner i don't know man like i just think
0: dude that is so crazy th- to me uh, that he's coaching john jones
1: I mean, it's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, hold on. Where were, we, where were you headed with that?
0: Um, Speaking about strength and conditioning versus powerlifting and how it applies oh, to sports. But, you sports.
1: know what, I, I think – at the level that John Jones is at, he probably has somebody who's overlooking his entire training. And maybe he has a day a week where he goes in and does powerlifting with the powerlifting guys, you know, and, and, you know, he has a conditioning day and he has, de- I'm sure he's doing skills most days, you know? Uh, and you're right. I think people will take that out of context. Like I'm sure the, the media did in that scenario, mm-hmm. making it seem out like this guy seem like this guy's doing two a day powerlifting sessions, preparing for a meet or something, you know, when obviously that isn't the case. And I thought, don't think you'd find any coach, even powerlifters, even the hard, most hard-headed of powerlifters is not going to tell an MMA fighter that they need to be in the gym doing powerlifting power every day. So,
0: yeah. so I think uh, the
1: context matters a lot.
0: So Eddie Hall versus Thor, what's going to happen? What are your predictions?
2: I, I predict that both of them are going to make a lot of money. That's, that's You heard it here first. They're both going to make a lot of money, and I'm not going to care. Cause they both have already made enough money as it is. I think I, I, we talked about a little bit uh, off the show, but like there does seem to be a real animosity that I'm not seeing, or I don't know the backstory of, Um, you know, I I think if we look at the the medium of, you know, professional boxing and the sensationalism that comes with it in order for it's about selling tickets. it's about selling pay-per-views at the end of the day like that's no different than the ufc like there are great fighters that don't get a shake because they don't sell pay-per-views like if if, what's his name wanted to come out of russia again like uh what's uh, that beat uh mayweather there the the crazy guy who fights bears
0: oh yeah yeah khabib Khabib
2: sells fights right there are great fighters that don't sell fights khabib sells fights so if khabib came out of russia and stopped wrestling bears he'd make a lot of money and everyone like this it'll make a ton of money it's a freak show it's a big top circus tent
3: right i think
0: go ahead sorry well
2: i just think i think boxing what used to be like a really pure like american pastime like i really like i think of boxing and like you know the the 50s and the 60s up through into like even like when Iron Mike came in and sort of like changed the game, like there was a purity to boxing that now it's like ever since celebrity boxing on Fox, where you got like Bob Barker, like duking it out with Drew Carey or some shit. It's like, you've taken, like you've taken this thing that was an institution and you've, you've morphed it and bastardized it into a money-making machine. Right. Cause we can, we can blow it up in Madison square. Uh, what they'll, they'll probably do Vegas. So they'll do, um, um, like what's the big one Bellagio or MGM Grand yeah. right everyone and their mother every single celebrity you know Frank White fur coat gangster is going to be there and I just think you know at the essence of this is an, is I think to be a really cool sport with a great history and some amazing athletes that we're we're going to throw a, you know the Barnum and Bailey's fucking you know the elephants are coming out after I think it's a circus I think it devalues an incredible sport and I think it's a money grab. I don't think it'll settle anything. I think people who buy into it are going to be pawns in a in a in a scheme to just be able to make a lot. Hey, look, I don't think Strength Sports are given its due. Those guys with the Netflix special and Game of Thrones have been able to square away a living for themselves. That's awesome. I think they deserve it. Um, I, I just, I. I I worry about the purity of sports across the board when decisions sure. like this are made and celebrated.
1: I, I see both sides of it because at the end of the day, sports are entertainment. So if the goal is to entertain people and people are being entertained and everyone's making it's money not, off though, it. do not
2: man. It's not. It, if you can't say that. I think if it you, is. Have you read the story of ping we, pong diplomacy?
1: You know what? I, I think being – look, at at the the risk of, of ruining sports for you more um, – <laughs> to me it's it's uh, you actually you might have been the one who told who said this to me ri- originally so I think you've already ruined sports for yourself <laughs> but I'm gonna go ahead and, and use wh- what you said where it's like It's all kind of a circus. I mean, you go and you watch an NBA game, right? And you're sitting in the front row, some guy who's five, six with millions of dollars is sitting courtside, and he's watching these (laughs) eight foot tall behemoths run around dunking nets. And he's just like, giant men, run for me and do the thing, you know? And and it's all for entertainment. You know, it's it's like a, a freak show of these genetically gifted people in this very specific thing. And that's like every sport. You're watching dudes in football, shortened their lives by 20 years by banging their heads off each other. Like the whole thing is all of sports are a circus to some extent. I know,
2: man. Dude, Jesse Owens, right? When Jesse Owens is on the podium, that's, you can't replicate that anywhere Don't bring
3: up the Olympics.
2: (laughs) Dude, I mean, there's some pursuits that that are not in the, no, but it's, I think, I think you can't lose hope on, on the power that sports can have. Like, like, In bringing people together, and we're bringing people together for blood in some sort of like, you know, Vegas showdown of like, finish him. Yeah. And there's like Marcus or, yeah.
0: I do get what Jordan's saying. It's like, it almost gets rid of the artistry,
2: you know, of of the
0: sport. It's like, I don't know. It's just so, um,
1: the, the other side of what I was saying, because I said I understand both sides, is the athlete perspective. These guys are pouring their lives into it, and to them, it's more than just entertainment, right? This is their livelihood. They take it very seriously, you know? And I love sports as much as the next guy, but if I go to a hockey game, I want to see a bunch of goals, and I want to see someone get punched in the face, and I want to see some beers come flying down from the nosebleeds where the real fans are, you know? I'm there for the, for the show, you know, so yeah, but
2: I think like to say that you know, from an athlete's perspective, they're taking it seriously. It's like that's great, but what they've been taking seriously is not boxing. Is like exactly. if they want, if, if they were to do an MGM showdown, a mono a mono strongman competition where these guys do to head and they picked out the events and they were like sick head to head battles. And like some favored the size and shape of Thor and some favored the size of shape. And everyone could agree, like, man, he's going to have to like log press this, or he's going to have to be way quicker on like the farmer's carry. And then there's like a sumo wrestling match. Like there used to be back in the day, (laughs) that'd be sick. But like to just totally like, Flip the narrative to a more uh, a to hey why
1: sumo why is that combat sport okay why sumo wrestling
2: okay but not Strong boxing man.
3: it's officially part of strongman yeah
2: <laughs> this is know your history man that's like some great epic because it's this I mean there's obviously a no, skill to it, it but it's like it's it's the OG CrossFit move man it's <laughs> like this is before like Mike O'Hearn was fighting people with giant. Uh, your cotton swabs on American <laughs> gladiator. Like yeah. I just think it's such a money move that like, you can't, I can't see past how that, that dissolves the purity around both sports, both strong man. Like I saw the same thing, like albeit much similar disciplines when Mayweather and, and McGregor teed up, it's like, obviously this is way different. And if he got to kick him in the head, it would have been like, like a 10 second fight, but it's like, you, you simultaneously bring down both sports because you tell UFC fighters, look, there's only real money to be made if you go fight big card boxers in a ring and not an octagon. And then you tell boxers that there's someone out there who would have loved an opportunity. Some, some kid who grew up in a ghetto watching Rocky, you know, with, with like Costas as his coach, then, you know, worked his way through and worked his way up the ranks who didn't get a shot at fighting him because some big card Irish guy who beats up old people who don't like his whiskey all of a sudden jumped in and that's what's going to sell. So it's like you take both sports down a peg and you do it in the sake of entertainment. It's like, I don't know, that's not really sanctimonious to someone who's dedicated their lives to the sport.
3: What sport has maintained that sort of
1: black
2: tie
3: affair? What? Well, I mean,
2: you're dealing with human beings, right? So only to the level of degree that the human being morality bottleneck will allow you, but I still think like, I mean, for me, I love track and field, although it's probably one of the most heavily dope sports in the world. Like, I've been in a room with people who have been in a room with Marion Jones, and they were telling me like her drug protocol, like to break a world record.
1: Just run fast and jump over the thing so you're that's what we want to see. Hey,
2: right. Jay, just pick the bar up. cross you know? we'll <laughs> the, the bar is
3: for me. <laughs> no,
1: that? like
2: you can't, man. Like it's just in history like uh, for me like the Olympics is such a like yeah, it's shrouded with money and greed and sponsorships and NBC and Pepsi and, you know, uh disproportionate resources for slave labor to build shit in Brazil to get stuff done and people are dying, but I right, think, and those
3: monuments to to the government that solicited those resources lay empty and wasting. And
2: yeah, you know. oh, the, the the thing in <laughs> yeah. Rio is a like, is a bus parking lot now, yeah. right? And I it's mean, like, yeah, like, there's like, there's a socioeconomic economic impact, but it's mm-hmm. like look like that money was going to go somewhere, right? I think for the brief two week period where everyone stops what they're doing, like, hey, like, come on, man. Like every every Canadian knows where they are when Canada wins the gold. I can still see the play oh, of in my course, head of where Ginla kicked it off the sideboards to Crosby, <laughs> and he went short side on fucking Miller Vancouver, like fucking Miller time. The like gold medal in Vancouver. I think those are irreplaceable moments. That it starts with the fringe sport coming into the mainstream. Strongman goes boxing.
3: And Americans uh, I, have snowboarding. Hey, Americans have snowboarding
1: yeah well they've uh, shone fight. white
3: that's all we got
1: <laughs>
3: wow hang your hat on that one
2: good job <laughs> watch Norway win way more medals than you do um, no I just think there's a certain sanctity of sport that I think should be protected I mean, it's a, sports for me growing up was the one reason I didn't do coke as a 14 year old in Windsor because like, oh, I got hockey to, to go to the next day
1: mm-hmm. sure but it's also the reason why a lot of 25 year olds do coke in Vegas <laughs> hey at least I can afford it then <laughs> it
0: balances uh, out
1: yeah as long as it keeps you out of trouble when you're young
0: <laughs> yeah it balances out hey yeah. we're coming into the what what is this hour and a half Yeah. and i want to be mindful of your time not really i don't really care about <laughs> your time but i want to go train
2: 15 minutes late wants to be mindful of my time now uh, it wasn't me Good it was boy.
0: caesar by the way that was late hi <laughs> Sorry, bro. Um, um, wait.
1: I, there's so before we outro you uh i know you you guys are offering online programming now you want to talk about that real quick
2: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so we do, um, we take recovery or we look at recovery a little bit different. So there's a lot of like applications out right now that uh, worry about like mobility exclusively as like this fundamental recovery tool. And, you know, you you get your cat and your yoga mat, you light your incense, and you sit on your living room floor and you kind of roll around for a bit. Like for me, recovery starts with good technique and proper programming. So we've come up with um, uh, progressions through shoulder, hip, and spine fundamentally as a means of increasing, you know, variability and capacity or mobility and stability. Um, and that's something that's more done from a, uh, preparatory standpoint than an actual recovery standpoint, like getting lifters in better positions is going to minimize the undue stress on cross knees, ankles, hips, low backs, most people reach performance bottlenecks as uh, an overreaching in one of these one of these areas. So, improving perceptions around these areas, improving variability capacity, um, through like very simple walk-through kind of systematic process. Everything's video tutorials. It's delivered through an app. It's updated weekly. Um, so yeah, the RX programming launched free one month trial as of last week. Um, So when you sign up, it's kind of like a no obligation, one month for free, try it out, uh, go through and use this as an adjunct with your training. The nice thing is, is that it fits cross discipline because like we don't necessarily look at powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting and, you know, bodybuilding or whatever. We look at the structural and functional makeup of your shoulders, your hips and your spine. And it's like if those are in a better position to operate in what we'll call like a functional manner, which can be defined as how they're meant to use when we walk and breathe, kind of these two principal core elements of human, human function, and we can start to improve the integration of those two components for your shoulders, your hips, and your spine, whatever you choose to do with those improvements is kind of up to you. Um, so we're very much more, we're, we're very much performance based in our objective outcome rather than having arbitrary, like mobility scores. It's like, I know plenty of people who can't touch their toes that are great squatters. And even more so, I know plenty of people that can touch their toes, fold themselves into pretzels that fold like a fucking lawn chair under a bar. So it's about dosing in proper, um, in proper frequencies and durations and densities these subtle adaptations over time that are gonna improve your positions in your lift, which will then allow you to to program more effectively or elicit the desired response from the program that you're running.
0: How about uh, the education portion? Uh,
2: Yeah, so the level one course, um, we are on week uh, seven of the current semester. So we have 147 students across 17 countries in this semester. Um, And so this is a course that I teach live. It's what I think to be first principles of coaches and therapists from an understanding of applied biomechanics. Um, So we look at again, shoulders, hips, and spines, and in a a higher resolution, we look at rib cage and pelvis diaphragm and pelvic floor and kind of build an inside out outside in conceptualization of how the body is meant to move uh, and then how we can progress, regress, adapt, and optimize within that framework. Um, so that's a 16-week course that I teach um, weekly. I teach four lectures to accommodate for uh, the, the different time zones. We'll have registration for the next semester up uh, mid-July with a mid-August start for the, um, for the fall semester.
0: That is so I awesome. Suggestion.
3: I have a suggestion for the uh, program. Forget not giving a score. Give a score. Make it a really low score. Then just arbitrarily give a better score at certain intervals
1: you know what
2: kaplan <laughs> just program, did he just did the dodgeball
3: like hey add five
2: pounds to the women's scales in the weight room before, <laughs> you before you leave.
3: now you have a great business <laughs> <you go>. hey, <laughs> not a great program not a great program a great business
0: i don't uh, i don't tell you this nearly enough and most of the time i'm just uh giving you a hard time but i'm really proud of everything that you've done and you know you work so hard you deserve all the success that you're getting. And I'm so happy to see you continuously growing and improving yourself and your business. And it's really something that I've, I've always admired about you. So,
2: and, and so that's you- going to get cut out for the show, right? See, you're going to cut out the bit <laughs> of me crying out, at the end. Is there. that what you're going to do? That's <laughs> yeah, time, time mark. Now I pre- I mean, you guys have been there since jump street. Like you took in, your homeless friend who didn't have a job or a life anymore. Uh, and I've spent more time. I mean, I know Miami better than I know most places and I know business better than I know, than I otherwise would have known it. And I know lifting better than I otherwise would have if it wasn't for you guys. So I appreciate you having me on and taking the time and all that.
0: Lovely. I know. Yeah.
2: I met my girlfriend in Miami too, as she's uh, behind the camera pointing that out. So I guess I have <laughs> you to thank for that. You know, you're welcome
1: for that.
0: You're
2: um,
1: yeah. And for anybody uh, listening, Everything that you guys do over at uh, Prescript uh, and RX Radio is great. So give their podcast a listen.
0: Take their seminars.
1: Take their seminars. Try their programming. It's uh, it's all great and definitely gets our stamp of approval. Yeah, Jordan, thanks for being on the podcast.
0: Thank you, dude. Thanks for having me. Love you.